With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Two with the bases loaded and one out. Oh, oh my God! Deep to right field, way up there and way out of here. Second deck walk off home run. Brad Slam. Hello and welcome in everyone to episode 164 of the Bases Loaded Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host Mike Curland. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curland. And one of our very first, actually our very first guest of the new year a buddy of mine ryan venancio i didn't i won't lie i pronounced mispronounced his last name on the first take we just decided to do it again and i fixed it but you can follow him on twitter at ven underscore armbarn and he is a good friend of mine we met during the quarantine classic the mlb the show uh thing with league we did in 2020 and ever since then it's just kind of just hung out talked he he is a writer for fan tracks writes for sk playbooks so maybe i'm a little biased um you go uh, you can check out his work there he, he plays the drums in a, in a band with sales ahead i believe is i'm trying to read it as a twitter handle at with sales ahead as well um co-host with our with our good friend of the podcast deegs for the uh, next on deck podcast i don't know if there's anything else i'm missing ryan but welcome to the show I, th- I think you nailed everything. You just- <laughs> I'm just looking. I'm looking at your page. I'm like, oh, uh, uh, this, this, and this. You you stay busy, basically. Yeah, yeah. I have to stay busy. But thanks for having me on, man. Of course. And what's funny is I honestly didn't even realize because we do talk often. I didn't realize, and we argue even more in our, in our SK Playbook uh, Discord. We argue quite a bit about prospects. And I thought, you know what? Perfect. We need to bring this. And I even said it before. We need to bring this arguing arguing we do because it's it's good, healthy arguing. It's more of debating and we need to bring it to a podcast. So that's what we did. We're talking about, we're going to talk about prospects and redraft because with these, you guys focus a lot on dynasty stuff. I know you guys don't just do dynasty and prospect talk, but you both are very strong in that. You just recently did a podcast about general strategy and all that good stuff. Again, the next on deck podcast. Um, But I wanted to talk about prospects with redraft and not just like your typical redraft. We're going to discuss some shallower leagues, deeper leagues, maybe draft champions formats, you know, draft and hold type of leagues where prospects, the value can be skewed. And I'm like, it's about time we bring some of this discussion 
here because I feel like me and you even get mixed up in what leagues I'm referring to when I'm talking about prospects. And for once, I think we agreed yesterday in how to treat them in draft champions league. So we'll talk about it, but um, I guess we could jump right in. How, what is your, just your general approach when approaching prospects in redraft formats? Um, it all depends on the player, you know? Um, so if you want to have an example, Bobby Witt, <clears throat> I believe he's going to make the opening day roster. And if he doesn't, he's going to be up within the first three weeks of the season. So if I were to draft someone like that, I need a shortstop for three weeks. So maybe my last, if I draft Bobby Witt, let's say in a 12 team Yahoo league, if I draft Bobby Witt as my starting shortstop with my last pick, I'll take like Didi Gregorius or, you know, someone I know is going to start. That's not going to, that's never going to get drafted. He's my placeholder for three weeks. And then I put Bobby Witt in there. Or if Bobby Witt makes a team, I cut Didi. Um, I generally like to avoid prospects early, but later in a, let Again, let's say 12-team Yahoo League. My last two round picks, maybe last pick, I'll take a chance on a prospect just because why not? You can just drop him in a week if he doesn't make the opening day club. Are you more willing, and I, I, I think I know the answer here, but are you more so looking for prospects that have like a more likely ETA early on in the year? Because, you know, you see guys get taken that are in double A and such, and it's kind of like, seems like a stretch. I know I like players that are like, on the brink, you know, like the Bobby Witts, uh, the Julio Rodriguez is even, but um, is that kind of the same? St- you just take that same style and approach, I, was, I assume. Yeah, yeah. My rule. So for indices or if I'm going to, you know, take a chance on a prospect, if you draft before opening day or before rosters are finalized, my rule would be I have to take someone that's played in AAA already or has played well in AAA. Otherwise, you're you're probably just wasting draft picks. You don't want someone like I was in a draft and hold. Someone took Zach Fien. Like, what are we doing? He's never playing. He's not playing in the majors this year. Um, so it's just you have to be smart with it. You have to take guys that have an actual realistic chance to play and have, you know, there's a hole on the team that he's on where you could see he slots right in. No, hundred percent. I think the big thing is, is I think our, me and you and our dis- disagreements come into play. I have a hard time ranking players because I have a hard, because t- I have such a draft champions slash draft and hold mindset. Me- meanwhile, I have to remember most people play 10, 12 team leagues. And I even mentioned that if there's a chance, if it's a daily league or if there's a chance, like if it's a shallow format, I will, I am more likely to take that chance on a prospect because I do think the, the player pool to replace them with you, I don't even think you'd have to settle for a DD. I think realistically you could probably get a, I'm trying to think of a late round shortstop here. Um, I'm pull up some names. Now you could probably pair like realistically without spending too much draft, capital you could probably get like a Luis Urias or an Ahmed Rosario and like that could be your fallback guy that would be your middle infielder but you can that's a serviceable shortstop going in the mid like round 160 since December 1st those guys are serviceable shortstops to fill in while you're waiting for wit and I think that's the type of approach you could take especially in a shallower format where like maybe there is no MI spot and that makes even more sense to take the high take the ceiling because of the floor of the players you can get later on is it, there's just, it's easier to come by. So that's, again, I'm not anti-prospect as much as I come off as anti-prospect, but draft champions is where I'm very anti-prospect. But I mean, that's pretty much it. How about you draft champions or drafting whole formats, like 15 teamers in general? Are you, are you similarly aggressive with prospects? Or are you more likely to let them pass and wait on, wait on guys? Yeah, I'll take guys that fall. So I know I, I don't want to give away too many picks when we dive into later, but yeah. you know, if a guy like Bryson Stott or, O'Neill Cruz falls, 
I'm going to take the chance on them just because I believe they're going to be up very early. And I can take some boring guy like Yandy Diaz or Miguel Rojas to take their spot until, you know, they're ready to play. So right now we're doing early drafts, obviously. I know you've done a couple. I've done a couple. Um, I'm actually in my third one. Are you worried about taking prospects in early drafts, considering we have no idea what's going on with the CBA and how it could affect these what should be early call-ups? So I'll go back to what um said earlier. I think if you take someone who's dominated AAA, um, I find it hard. I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. You don't really see guys dominate AAA and then the next year just are just stuck in AAA. No, I, I don't. I don't. I, I really don't. I really don't see that happening. So if you were to take someone like, um, let's use Nick Prado as an example. He hit like 40 home runs last year between AA and AAA. There's there's a scenario in which he comes up in June, but there's in my mind there's no scenario in which he spends the entire season in AAA. So like he's getting a chance. So we, I wouldn't I wouldn't be scared to draft someone like that just because I know at some point he's going to be up and in the range that you're drafting him in the 400s 500s there's no one that's going to give you better per plate appearance quality yeah, so in, in my oh, sorry. Uh, unless you draft a first baseman that's unless your first baseman goes out for the year in may you're going to be fine drafting nick prado yeah and we and you mentioned it and we're probably going to talk about him more but um and we're going to talk about a few teams because the Royals, me and you, that's where we have our most spirited debates. <laughs> and I know um, you actually, you know, you may, you did change our mind on uh, Dozier and all that. So we'll talk about the Royals. But um, we are going to discuss a few guys we like going super deep in drafts because we do play in deeper formats. And prospects early on in draft champions isn't always the smart way to go. But later on can be a smart play. And that's where the risk is mitigated. And Prado is actually one of those names that we'll probably talk about more later. But um, I was just curious because I, I don't know how the CBA is going to play out. And if you look at like like Adley Rushman, like I feel like he has nothing left to prove, right? Like you would think it makes total sense for him to come up early. But it's the Orioles. He only played – he did only play 43 games, but in those 43 games, he's been very just solid. I mean, he's flashed a really good hit tool. I mean, he's hitting like 271 or better at three different stops last or last couple of years. And the, the he's never had an above 19.1% strikeout rate any stop. So Rutschman seems like he's ready for the big leagues or at least a chance. However, if the CBA doesn't favor him, if the Orioles are the Orioles and do what they do, like who knows, like it makes no sense. But I do always have, I do always second guess prospects because I don't trust teams to do the right thing. And I feel like if there's a chance for the MLB owners or teams to be selfish with a player, look at what happened to Kalanick last year. Although Kalanick's a special case, he didn't have that triple A, you know, playing time and all that. They still held him back far beyond like what we were expecting to as redraft players. And that's always my concern. I think there's a lot of risk that gets added on, even when it doesn't make sense. Maybe I'm just snake bitten from it in the past. I don't know. I'm just so apprehensive with prospects. Maybe I'm trying to. I'm trying to have you on to talk me into them, and I'm talking myself back out. Like I can't no, do it. No, no, I think it's um. I think it's a case by case basis. I don't like clumping prospects into the same group. So what? How Rutschman differs from Prado. So you're drafting Prado in the 400s, 450s, 500s. You're not relying on him for production day one or May. April, May, even June, hell, July, maybe you're expecting production from him. If you're drafting Adelaide Rutschman at 192, you're relying on him all season. Like he's your starting catcher. Yeah. Um, or one of your two starting catchers. So that's where that's probably a prospect I'm not touching uh, just because I'd rather take in another position in that area. And I don't want a guy that can give me 
that's a potential zero, right? I yep. would rather just try draft Darno, Garver, Vasquez, Murphy, Zanino, Narvaez, Elias Diaz. All these guys are starters. So you're drafting um, a guy that has to be your starter, and he might not be a starter until uh, we don't even know. I mean, he'll be up at some point. You just don't know when. Speaking of a guy I don't have confidence in compared to the consensus, I don't know when to expect we see Julio Rodriguez up. I know he's barely a top three. He's going just inside the top 300, so it's not like he's a huge reach. I think people are overestimating the potential of like playing time for Rodriguez. It's already a crowded outfield. The Mariners are making moves like they want to compete, so maybe that pushes up his ETA. But we're talking about a guy who only played 46 uh, games in double A. No triple A experience, minimal. I would call that kind of minimal double A experience. If he rakes in spring training, maybe, but we also saw Bobby Witt do really well last year, all through the minors and everything, and never get the call. Could we see J Rod just never come up this year? Would that surprise you? Um, I think it would only because uh, there were there were rumors, granted, but there were rumors that J Rod was going to be up at the end of last year. I think he's another guy similar to Rutschman. I'm probably not going to have any Julio Rodriguez in DCs just because of the price is just too high and he never played in triple um, a. In addition to that, he had a 55% ground ball rate in double a. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, there's going to be, there's going to be struggles when he comes to the majors and it's our 20% K between high A and double a, he should be fine. He shouldn't be like a high twenties, low 30 strikeout rate guy in the majors, but you don't know. Um, again, I think like Rutschman, he's a guy I'm probably not touching just because the price is a little too high and never played in triple a ground ball rates really high. I, I don't know. No, I'm, I'm with you. And I think those question marks need to be discussed because any format where you can't make waiver moves, these players are guys that like you think, Oh, it's pick 300. What do I have to lose? A roster spot is very valuable when you have to go a whole year without making a move like off the waiver. So picking somebody that. Like, let's see who's going around there. Um, I almost said Trevor Bauer, not the guy you want to take a chance <laughs> on. Um, let's see. Jesus Aguilar is going right there. Um, Alec Bohm, not as sexy or flashy, but at least you know that they more than likely have playing time incoming and a secure or secure-ish role. Like, you know you're getting something out of them. Whereas J-Rod, sure, he could be fantastic in the, for the second half of the year. We don't know that, but we also know there's a floor, being that there's a, it's a prospect in general. The floor could be he doesn't play at all. And yeah, yeah. Uh, Rafael Ortega is going 315. He's going um, almost two rounds later. He's going to be a 15 homer, 15 steal guy that plays. Maybe he's a platoon bat, but he's at least going to be um, the right, right side, a uh, strong side platoon bat. Maybe he gives you 130 games, 15 homers, 15 steals. I mean, I'd rather take that than Julio Rodriguez. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to talk prospects because now it goes back to if you're playing in a redraft league, something with like maybe if you have NA slots, these picks make sense at that point because now you have a place to put them and the ADP in your league won't touch probably close to 300 picks. So he can be a last round pick. You throw him in an NA slot, call it a day. But in leagues that are like NFBC where you don't have those slots, where you don't even have DL slots, like you can't afford to just stash a player like that all year. And so I, I, I'm very just torn on prospects like Josh Jung. Now he's interesting. I think he's got to break camp, right? They made those moves. There was rumors of it already happening. So, I mean, he's 23 years old. He should be 24 when the season starts. He showed, he, he's a guy who played in double A AA and triple A last year. 
I, I'm, I'm more confident in him, but I'm still concerned. Maybe they put it, you think they put him back down just for a little bit more seasoning because we are talking just 35 games in AAA after just 43 games in AA, albeit very successful in both stints. Yeah, I could see him maybe not making the opening day team, but he's got to be similar to Bobby Witt, right, where he's going to be up May at the latest. Um, and unless this guy, yeah, sure, unless he struggles. But it, it's, again, it's also context dependent. If you start a DC with Manny... So I, I started DC with Manny Machado as my third baseman in the second Beautiful. round. I believe I took Machado. I think that's a good team to have Josh Jung on. And here's why. So if you have Machado as your third baseman, right, you're probably not going to draft a good backup third baseman. If you draft Josh Jung in the mid 300s, let's say, and Manny Machado goes down, if your backup third baseman are like Yandy Diaz or you know, someone that isn't that great, but plays every day, that's not going to replace the production of Manny Machado. You won't have a zero, but it's not going to replace his production. If you have Josh Jung, there's a potential. He gives you like 70% of Manny Machado. So again, everything to me is context dependent. I think that's a place where you can take like a calculated risk because you don't need four third basemen when you, when one of them are Manny Machado, because he's staying in that spot all year. But, you know, maybe he goes down, maybe hurts his knee and misses from June until the end of the year, let's just say. Josh Jung could could replace his production potential. Um, so I wouldn't want him as my starting corner infielder. I wouldn't want him as my backup third baseman if my third baseman was like Luis Urias. Let's say he was my starting third baseman. I wouldn't want to pair him with Josh Jung just because you're relying too much on uncertainty. But um. Yeah, if you want a nice backup in the mid 300s, I don't, I don't see in a DC, I don't see what's wrong with taking Josh Young. And yeah, that's why I wanted to bring up some specific names because we just mentioned J Rod and Jung, and they're going like almost back to back, like they're going within the same round. And then you mm-hmm. mentioned Wit. Wit's obviously the big early round pick, so to speak, going around pick 100. But I think he's the, I think there's the clearest path to playing time there for him as well as the most production we saw in the minors. Like there was no reason why he shouldn't have been up last year. So even I've come around on Bobby Witt, I'm still afraid to draft him in 15s, but I'm coming around on the idea of it. And plus if every time I'm in a 15 team league, it's with Zach Waxman, of course. So (laughs) I don't have a chance to draft him because he's taken him in both my drafts with him. Zach's been in both my drafts. Bobby Witt hasn't fallen to me. Like I'm sure sure he's going to love that. You, that you just told everyone that he took him. I don't care. He knows. I've, I think I've said it out loud multiple times now. He took him because um, we talked about that. We actually talked about that early round draft pick. Um, yeah, yeah. Zach plays in so many leagues that he diversifies anyway. And he even said he didn't have much of them. So he kept jumping them. And that's the thing. Like You think he's falling to his ADP, which is in the 90s since December 1st. It's like in the mid 90s. He didn't, he didn't make it there in either one of my drafts because Zach wanted to get some shares, got him and took him like 10 or so picks earlier, which isn't a bad price all things considered it's just one of those things that i have a hard time taking wit when i see chris bryant on the board because i'm just big on that level of safety when i see jd martinez even jonathan india is where it gets interesting because maybe i think wit i think you could take that risk of wit over india that wouldn't really upset me but i like safety and i'm seeing guys like jorge polanco chris bryant jd martinez there i understand they're not sexy or flashy but i think i know i'm getting what i'm getting out of them whereas wit is a true wild card and i know the ceiling the skies is the limit for him, but I also know we also know how prospects don't always pop year one. So that's why I have my concerns. I know you have a higher level of confidence than I do with Bobby Witt in general. I think long term he's fine. He's probably a future star. I'm just always apprehensive year one with prospects. I mean, that's just me. That's just a me thing. That totally makes sense. My 
And again, it's all, it's all um, team dependent. Like if you have steals covered already, then you're going to take Jorge Polanco or J.D. Martinez or Chris Bryant over him because you, you want the safe production, the safe cat four category production. Um, if you maybe miss out on steals or if your team's super safe for the first six or seven picks, maybe you take a chance on Bobby Witt and um, you know, he goes 20, 30 and plays 130 games. Yeah. I'm, that would be amazing. I would happily be. That's the thing. I was willing to be wrong on Vlad last year, and I was, and that's fine. But I also built teams that didn't require Vlad's skill set. I've I've noticed this year so far. I tend to build teams that don't require Bobby Witt's skill set when he's going in drafts. So that's part of it. Is I'm building to avoid that risk already. Don't be wrong. I I don't want to leave draft season without Bobby Witt on my team. I learned my lesson from Vlad. Like, although I don't want, I, I was, uh, although I didn't want Vlad on a team, I, I should have gotten at least one share, but this year I'm leaving drafts where I'm like, okay, I want at least like, I'm not going to play more than probably 10 or 15 leagues. I want to at least get one or two Bobby Witts maybe because I'm going to do some more of these uh, 12 teamers. Maybe that's the league that's better. Cause again, I feel way more confident in the, in that, in the later round, like shortstop pool to fill, fill in for him while he's, if he doesn't break camp so that's the league more likely i'm probably gonna get him in but at least i'll have some shares because if i'm gonna be wrong i want to at least be able to benefit from it this year so i did learn my lesson like that again i don't regret necessarily missing out on vlad it's because i built i built for that skill set regardless it was just that i played enough leagues to diversify and i didn't and that's where i messed up so i'm I, again it's you know drafting in general is a it's a learning process and uh, all that i mean i wish i wrote it down i didn't have a chance to write it down i had a overall question in general about um about oh uh strategy i actually do remember now because i actually take notes while we podcast to try to ask follow-up questions you mentioned um team building how do you feel about ranks in general like redraft ranks because i'm learning and personally they are growing increasingly irrelevant i guess i enjoy doing them because the, the the casual player likes them good for content and i like to bucket players into like values, but I also have skill set buckets. It's weird. I have like two buckets mixed together. But for me, rankings are increasingly relevant because it's all about team building, especially in the early rounds. Do you find yourself going that same route? Because I know for I don't know about you, but for years, ranks, I lived and died by ranks, but now ranks are increasingly relevant, in my opinion. Yeah, I never um I never really used ranks, but uh the way you had them in the um in the Google sheet you sent me where you and George did your ranks. Um, and you had like the plus home run minus average, you did stuff like that. That's where I think ranks could be really useful. Um, and another reason why they're really useful is because it makes you look into every player. Yes. Um, so what I normally do is I, I take ADP down, I put it in a Google sheet and I'll have like a green or red arrow for each, for some players. And then I'll have I'll do what you did, like plus homers, my, uh, minus steals, plus average, whatever, the strengths and weaknesses of, of each player. And um, that's kind of how you have to use them because you can't just go down, oh, well, this guy's – no, I have Andrew Benintendi over Kike Hernandez, so I have to take Benintendi here. It's like, oh, well, if, I, if you need runs scored, you got to take Hernandez. If you need stolen bases, you take Benintendi. So it's just – it's all about um, – you know, what your team looks like and constructing a team is not easy, especially no. in these 12, 15 team teams, you're making 50 draft picks. It is, it is not, it is not easy having a well-balanced team and you can create a huge edge in just, you don't even need to nail all your draft picks. You just have to have a team that's good in all 10 categories. 
<laughs> that's it. No big deal. Um, <laughs> just a team good everywhere, everywhere with minimal weaknesses. It's a lot of it's just um, knowing player, the player pool. That's why drafting early is a big deal. You learn the player pool super quick, like super early, and it forces you to do research. I was looking up rotations. I didn't realize I hadn't looked at. I was like, oh, Alec Mills is expected to start. I think at one point I looked at him. I think that's the name. Wade Miley, he has a spot. Like these obscure names, you're like, I forgot to even look at them before this draft started. And um, you're just scrambling for a player, especially, again, if you go in without any prep like I did. So that was fun. Um, <laughs> I hope my two drafts weren't a waste of money, but I'm not so confident in them. So I'm jumping. I jumped into this the 50 here because I know it's a 12-teamer. I can do a 12-teamer. Cause I've done two 15s. So before I do my next 15, I'm going to definitely get my prep complete, but yeah, early drafts definitely get you an idea of how you like to construct a team, maybe pros and cons. And that's why I wanted to talk about prospects because there's every year they're a hot topic. And I think you just need to understand that you can't just like you, if you take Bobby Witt, you're probably, you probably shouldn't take Josh Jung. You probably shouldn't take uh Adley Rushman. You should limit your um, I guess how much you have, well, I'm trying to think of the word. Um, Absolutely, limit limit how much exposure. You have exposure. To you, you don't, That's you don't, the word. <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't want. I I think in my in the few DCs I've done, I think three prospects has been my max. I don't want to take more than three prospects. And in draft champions specifically, I told you like, I actually in the first one I looked, I had zero. The second one, I think I took two or three, but they were all in the back third of my draft, and mm-hmm. that's why we can transition over to that now. We're going to talk about some of these late round tr- prospects and why we think that's when we should you should target them. Especially, and this is more for again anybody playing in deeper formats or maybe in dynasty leagues, shallow dynasty leagues. Some of these players might be available on your uh, waiver wire, even depending on how shallow if it's a ten team or something. Um, who knows? However, you're the esteemed guest. Please start us off, Ryan. Okay, so my first prospect is going to be MJ Melendez. Um, he is a catching prospect for the Kansas City Royals, my favorite team. And the reason why I like him a lot is that his ADP is um, going to be after 400. And I've found myself taking him as my third catcher. Perfect. Um, he had 41 home runs in double A and triple A last year. Just had an absolutely absurd season. So stupid. 20, 21% <laughs> strikeout rate. Beautiful. Uh 18, 17% walk rate in triple A, 12% in double A. So he had around a 14% walk rate last year. Um, and he's going to play. So it, it might be the same deal as Bobby Witt. Maybe he doesn't make the opening day roster. Maybe they wait to see what Carlos Santana and Hunter Dozier have. And Melendez gets called up in the middle of May. But you're not taking him as a starter. You're taking him as a bench guy. And Again, as long as one of your catchers don't go out for the season in May, you're going to be fine drafting Melendez in the later rounds. And he's going to give you a decent average, high on base percentage. We should score some runs. And I mean, he hit some absolute bombs last year. I was waiting for him to get called up all year. Um, I was just watching video after video on Twitter of him just crushing balls to right field. Um, I I mean, I think the kid's a stud and um, he's going to play a lot. Steamer has him as only playing 28 games next year. I mean, that's just absurd. He's going to play way more than 28 games. Okay, so we need to group Prado because Prado was on my list. So we can just, and you mentioned him earlier. So I want to group Prado, Melendez, because these are all Royals guys. And look at the current Royals roster. And I just, I think they these guys deserve to play. We had a very, again, very very good debate about this. I don't trust the playing time. And 
but the thing about at least Melendez, I agree with you. The plate discipline is way better, and I find I find myself more confident in that. Don't get me wrong, Prado has the same power upside, but he has a Bobby Bradley type of strikeout rate. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I see, like we're talking near thirty percent in at every stop, and that won't translate as well. Like that will translate to closer to like a Bobby Bobby Bradley or a um, Bobby Dalback even like type of strikeout profile in a rookie season. That's where my concern comes with him. Plus when you have, you're paying like 10 mil, wherever it is, 12 mil for Carlos Santana, you're paying Dozier. I know how you feel about Dozier. I get it. And you talked me down on him because I initially was like right before draft season really kicked off. I was in on him just to realize, wait, there is so much playing time concerns there because of these young guys Prado not being on the same level as Melendez, but where do these guys play? Because I don't trust the playing time given you know how teams can be, especially the Royals. They might want to see what they can get out of them at the very least to try to trade them. Sure. So my issue with Hunter Dozier is that he's very <laughs> bad and he's yes. third and he's third and he's 30 years old. I mean, he's a legitimate negative war player. My favorite so, part is that's your, always your argument. <laughs> the, do, like, you, like you just try to say it every time Dozier's just bad. That's like all you ever say. Like, you don't need to break him down. I get it. Cause I, I try to find things why I like him. You're like, no, he's just bad. I'm like, I can't really argue that he, he shows flashes, but yes, yes. He's uh, just, bad. yeah. I mean, he's, <laughs> He's gonna. He's almost thirty-one years old, and he's got a. He's got two wins for his career, like two wins above replacement. He's 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 a legitimately bad player. He's fantastic. Um, you don't talk to him about like that. <laughs> um, also, I'm not so sure. Nicky Lopez is an everyday like shortstop with Bobby Witt and Mondesi on the team. So I think Mondesi, Lopez, Witt. Is going to be kind of a revolving door in DH, third base, shortstop. Obviously, Melendez and Prado aren't going to play any of those positions. Um, roster resource has Dozier as the starting first baseman. I'll give that a month. I'll give you a month of Hunter <laughs> Dozier. And then he's out of here. I mean, if he has a 280 OBP and he's still the starting first baseman on May 1st, then there's, there's a huge issue there. <laughs> um, Kyle Isbell in right field. He's a decent player, but I'm not so sure he's going to block someone like Melendez. Um, obviously, Prado's not going to play right field. But then I honestly think the Royals can do some platooning. Um, I think Dozier, you can platoon Dozier and Prado at first base. Dozier gets at-bats against lefties. Prado goes at bat against righties. Um, Salvador Perez is a horrible catcher. He shouldn't catch more than 30 games next year. So if he's the full-time DH let's say near full-time DH. Okay. So sorry. Let's re- let's restart. Let's restart. I'm going, <laughs> I'm, I'm going all, I'm going all over the place. So Whit Merrifield is their second baseman. Edgerton yes. Stone, second base. Nicky Lopez is their shortstop. I could see Lopez. If Lopez gets days off, Bobby Whittle plays short. Uh, Mondesi will play third. Perez and Melendez are going to catch. And then DH is Perez. And then whoever gets the time off. Right. And then Ben and you can even platoon him and put um, a right. You could put Hunter Dozier in left field when uh, ben, when you're facing a lefty. There's a lot of flexibility on this team. And I don't see why. So right now they have Cam Gallagher and Emmanuel Rivera as bench players. So you can basically just put MJ Melendez and Nick Prado in. And I think they play enough where they're going to be relevant fantasy players how um, dare you not mention edward Oliveras, the kansas city <laughs> royals favorite bounce around uh player i just don't understand what's going on with that like i feel like he deserved playing time last year but again another discussion michael they taylor cl- they, they clearly keeps him in the field 
Uh, yeah, Michael Taylor's going to play every day. They clearly just don't like Olivares. So I'm, yes. not tu- I'm not touching him in drafts. He got called up and sent down 15 times last year. If he if only the, the <laughs> chance to the chance for him to play was last year. I think I don't I don't see a path. I mean, Ben Attendee's playing, Taylor's playing, and then right field's going to be Isbell, Hunter Dozier, Melinda. They said they want Melendez to play third base and right field. Some I don't know how much he's going to actually do that, but third base makes more sense than right field. I would think maybe he goes the Jorge Alfaro route and plays outfield, but it's not good outfield. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping they just catch. Please have Melendez catch just, every day and get Perez. Melendez, I love Melendez's uh path to playing time because I do agree that Perez should end up DHing more in order to keep his keep him healthy and his bat in the lineup. And I love how you can take him as your third catcher because he's a catcher with upside and you already have your starters. So Melendez, I'm not questioning so much. And I even have rank, I ranked him inside my top 30 catchers, which doesn't sound like it's very good, but. He's going outside the top 30, so I'm a little higher than um, consensus as well on him. But um, mm-hmm. it's, I think it's Prado, and I think it's Prado's um, – because I think his skill set isn't something that's highly sought after. I, I do think there's an on-base thing. In terms of fantasy, I think it's a very easy profile to come, come across. And I – again, given their other options, I think Prado's path is a lot harder to come by and somebody I'm not as confident in getting regular – ABs for at least probably close to half the year, which is crazy because he has nothing to prove in the minors. But I don't know unless they make a trade. What you can get out of Prado though, which is he's he stole twelve bases last year, and he's he's stolen a lot of bases in the past. Um, I I'm not sure a lot of people know that about him. So he's a guy that could be a potential three fifty on base percentage guy. He had a almost fifteen percent walk rate in the minor leagues last year. Twelve stolen bases out of a first baseman. If he's a strong side platoon guy, that is that's a steal in the 500. Um, I know again, playing time might not be clear until June. Maybe they cut Santana, they trade Dozier, something happens. But I don't know. It's hard for me to find a first baseman I'd rather have in the 500s. Um, I got one. Okay, let's hear it. Tristan Cassis, Casas, whatever, however you say his last name. I wish I wish I wasn't bad about that. I trust the path of playing time better because I don't trust Bobby Dalbeck to be the everyday first baseman there. So you think? Um, you think they're just going to bench Dahlbeck? I think Dahlbeck can get stuck platooning at the very, because he crushes lefties. Like there's no question that he crushes lefties. And I think Cassis being a lefty hitter can get the righties. Yeah. And if there's a DH, Juan Yepes might be a um, better prospect to take a chance on because there's a opportunity at DH in St. Louis. Yeah. We have that. And that's what, and Cassis has shown in the last, at least his last two stops in 2021, a real legitimate growth at, at the plate in terms of plate discipline. And now 2019, too small of a sample to take anything from it, but in, um, uh, in, in high A, but in a ball, 23.5% strikeout rate, double digit walk rate in 2021 at double a cast has had a 14.9% walk rate with a sub 20% K rate. And then followed that up in triple a very small sample in triple a, unfortunately, but same plate discipline sub 20% K rate. So, uh, almost a 20% walk rate, but again, nine games can't really count that. But the point is, is that there's a, there was a full, what, 80, I'm trying to do math real quick, 86 games of such good play discipline board. Like I would say it's elite that that skill set tends to will translate easier and better over than Prado's near 30% strikeout rate. And they both seem to have a similar walk profile and that path to playing time. And especially because now they got rid of Renfro there too, like they could find a spot 
I mean, I'm not saying Cassis is going to play outfield, but maybe DH opens up. Maybe they play Martinez in the field more. It wouldn't be smart, but maybe they do it. Um, I think there's more of a path to playing time. And he can all, and people don't realize Dahlbeck start, he finished the year strong, but he was also, he faced a, a crazy amount of lefties. It was the weirdest thing. I was looking at the lineups and he only played 20 games or 20 of the final, like games of the final month or something like that. And of those, and of those 20 games, Dahlbeck faced like 14 lefties. It was a stupid, super, super, super slash stupid amount of like lefties. It was nuts. And um, that's where all the playing time came from because he ended up platooning. I think it was Schwarber at first base and Schwarber just played every day between first base and outfield. So I think Dahlbeck's already kind of like, unless he shows some growth early on, I think Cassis can, you know, go back down to the AAA for a little bit because he only got a, a cup of coffee in AAA. But I think Cassis could be like a May or June call up as well and be a, on a similar path ter- in terms of call up for as Prado, but with a clearer path to at-bats given the lack of options ahead of them. No, no, that's a good point. Um, I just think um, Carlos Santana and Hunter Dozier are a lot worse than Bobby Dolbeck. Santana's not done. He will forever get in the way. He's healthy. Hey, the thigh is back. I was so annoyed when the Royals set signed him that, that two-year deal because I knew something like this would happen. I knew it was going to happen. Santana's like the, like going to block. <laughs> I know, but it's not like the Royals are winning the World Series next year, so it's not the end of the world. Like, in 2023, Prado's going to be their everyday first baseman, so it's fine. But I just knew something like this would happen. Um, but, yeah, it's a good point. Um, if you didn't want to go the prospect route, maybe you take G-Man Choi. He's a safer pick for playing time. But, again, if you're taking a first baseman that far, like, they're not starting for you unless someone gets hurt. So I would rather take Prado or Cassis over Choi because, you know, they're both going to be up in some by June and they're going to have a way better, in my opinion, much better uh, per plate appearance production than G-Man Choi, mm-hmm. even though even though Choi is the safer pick. I love G-Man Choi, though. He's just so much fun. The splits get me every time. <laughs> did he give up? Did he give up switch hitting? He like went to switch hitting and then he stopped. Oh, no, I'm talking about Choi when he does the splits at uh, first base to catch the ball. Oh, I thought you meant the hit split. No, no, I meant like the actual splits. Like, you've seen the videos. I don't think I have. That's why I had no idea what you were talking about. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to have to look this up and find it for you. Gene, man, I'm telling you, they're Choi splits. Let's see if I can find a video on Twitter. That's all I'm typing that in. Oh, yeah, there's a picture. I'm, I'm, I'm DMing it to you right now. Do you have your Twitter up? I do. I this do. makes for fantastic content, but I'm telling you, anybody w- listening, tw- tweet, look at it on Twitter. It is glorious. I sent you a still image of it, but there's video of it. If anybody doesn't know that he does this, like this is a regular thing for him. It's the weird. That's, that's unbelievable. <laughs> See, it is fantastic. He's a very flexible man. That's why like, I love it. Like I can't get enough of G-Man Choi doing splits. That's why I made the comment about him doing splits. Like that's, that's a thing I've saw. I, I can't get it out of my head anymore. That is so, hyster- yes. that's hysterical. I'm glad. See, I'm glad. <laughs> I feel like that's a team name now. G Man Choice Splits. Like, and with that as your, you have to have that as your image. Yes. Oh, oh my goodness. Great. <laughs> so, you sent me back. G Man Splits is a picture of Pat. Oh my God. Great meme. All right. We're off the rails. Um, <laughs> Completely off the rails. Who's the next guy that you do? You have any, I don't even know. I, I said bring three names, but I wanted to talk about the Royals because we always talk about the Royals. But, um, I don't know if you have anybody else to talk about. I do. I do. Look at this gif you sent me. It's hilarious. (laughs) No more Royals. Um, Cade Cavalli, I believe that's how you say his name, um, is a starting pitcher I'm interested in the 500s. Um, He has an elite skill set. The fastball goes up to 100 miles an hour. He has a change. Fangraphs has his changeup as a 70. 
I was talking to Deegs, it's more like a 55, 60. It's not quite like a 70 would be like a Luis Castillo, Lucas Giolito changeup. His changeup's not that good, but he's got two really good pitches. Um, he made six starts in AAA last year. So, you know, the Nationals are probably going to give him a, a look at some point. And he made, he pitched 120 innings last year as a first year as a pro. That's awesome to see. So next year, if he doesn't get hurt, you expect, what, 140, 150 innings? And if he gives you half of those in the big leagues, there's a lot of strikeout upside there. Uh, I really like him in the 500s. Yeah, I have no problem taking, uh, like, one guy I keep falling back on in the 500s, and I have two, uh, he's like a former prospect, but I like his potential over there in Texas is Spencer Howard going at 600, 612. And it's the same idea. I think, I think Howard, like, I know, I don't know how this transition to Howard, but I was just picturing, I was just, my thing is, is uh, innings late can be easier to find, but at the same time, tough and quality innings late is tough. And Cavalli gives you that. And I think Howard, we forgot how much he was like, he was a highly touted prospect a couple of years ago. We were, we were targeting him as one of those guys in like the 300 range, I believe, in redraft in 2020 or something like that for the Phillies. Now he's in a better ballpark. Like, I don't know. I feel like we're overlooking him in terms of like prospects or former prospects. But um, I forgot the name I was going to mention. <laughs> and if you go to if you go to Spencer Howard's baseball savant page, his pitches are pretty nasty. His curveball has quite a bit of movement. His slider's a good pitch. He throws 94, 95. So I, I love Howard. I'm, and he, I'm, I'm all over him. I, I took him. He's going around like 600 on average. I took him like 500 on the dot. Like I'm jumping him 100 picks because why not? Like he's going to pitch too. I mean, yeah, that, that's, that, that Texas rotation's friggin' awful. Like, I don't. Under, I don't understand why he's, he's going he's, so late. He's going to as long as he's healthy. He's going to make every start. I feel like you already mentioned Juan Yepes. I'm not sure there's much more to mention with him because I think he's kind of high. He's spoken about so much on podcasts already. And anybody listening to ours listens to other ones that probably talk about him. Um, but uh, I'm trying to find, I, I lost the name. Oh, was it? I got to have oh, Brennan Davis. Duh. Um, going around like, was it 587 right now? Talk about a team that has a path to playing time. Talk about a team that needs some just overall good players in that outfield and it's the Chicago Cubs. I don't see how they're going to stop this guy. Who's the one of the, if it might be, I think he is their top prospect at this point. Triple um, a very small sample, 68 play appearances, 16.2% walk rate. So, you know, he, his on base skills have been great. Uh, 397 OBP and then double a 367 OBP. The strikeouts were a problem in double a, but it was a fluky. It seems fluky because he's never posted above 22.1% other than uh, like at any other level other than uh early in 2021 so i'm not i think he's closer to what he saw in the small sample brennan davis is to the strikeout rate but the walks have been showing we're talking three of his five stops he's had double digit walk rate so brennan davis brings what's known to be a really solid hit tool good plate discipline a little bit of power and speed and you're getting him late and again the path to playing time is there because the cubs have no reason to hold him back assuming that you know once they get past that date he seems like a guy that should be up relatively early, and it's like no one seems to be talking about him. That's actually a pretty good call. I didn't realize he finished the year in AAA last year. Very, very um, small sample, 15 games, but that's still a step. That, again, that's we and you have the same criteria, he has a by five, the way. He has a 570 ADP. I didn't realize he was being taken that late. Yeah, I, I, since December 1st, I'm looking at it. It says 587.94, a high of 334, a low of 704. So you just expect I'm expecting it's the same. It's the same deal as the Royals. Jason, yes. Jason Hayward still sucks. They're not playing him all year. They signed. Um, they signed. What's his face to a one year deal? I guess a prove it deal. Are they really going to be holding on to um, 
Yeah, Frazier. So if, if, the, is Frazier the only, really going to hold him back? The only way he doesn't play is if Hap and Ortega are both good, which is probably a slim chance. Those are both. I mean, Ortega had his breakout year at 31 years old. Ian Hap is the most up and down player ever. Jason okay. Hayward stinks. Harold Ramirez is like the most mediocre player in the big leagues. And Clint Frazier is either great or awful. So there's, and, and then you have the DH too. So there's plenty of ways yeah. he can fit in there sometime between June and the end of the year. Exactly. And that's why I'm like, I don't see how like June comes around. If he's even half the player we expect him to be, why the Cubs are like, well, you know what? Come on down, buddy. Come get some, come get some playing time. And the, the Cubs look like they're making some win now moves. It's a weird, it's a weird thing. I'm not sure. Like maybe their, li- their lineup isn't terrible, but if they, but they, if they crowd the outfield, I'll change my tune. But given their current look, like is Patrick wisdom really like, he's like a 20% uh, sorry, he's like a 40% strikeout guy, but he hits tanks. Um, Ian Happ has played the infield before. Could they, in theory, move Ian Happ back to the infield to open up a, another spot in the outfield if needed? Um, Patrick Wisdom might just be better off at DH. I don't know how good he is of a fielder. 30 years old, breaking out, it's tough. But um, you see, like, like we mentioned it, there's a lot of paths to playing time here because nobody seems to be a sure thing for this lineup except for Ian Happ, and that doesn't even feel comfortable saying that, except for Wilson Contreras. Uh, but, um, yeah, like... Nico Horner, obviously, he's not, but he doesn't affect them because it's a shortstop. Nick Magical probably plays every day at second. Um, I don't know. I, I just don't see much. And then look at the bench. I don't even know who half these people are. <laughs> Ian Happ has 200 career innings at third base. Did you know that? Yeah, I, I knew he played third base in the past. And that was the big thing with Yahoo. He had like three, he had positional eligibility, like a three or four spots at one year. I mean, I'm right, super right. valuable in yahoo and it was like a, it was like a meme because he played there like three times and got like second base eligibility or something or first base yahoo eligibility last year was just so ridiculous it's always fun it's always like the low-hanging fruit of a joke but yes yeah, so back to um brennan davis he finished the year in triple a there's a clear path to him breaking uh, not breaking camp but a clear path to him making the team at, like, earlier than later with zero reason to think he wouldn't play every day and where you're getting him, he's your part. Well, your outfielder eight nine. Like at that point, you should have more than enough backups at the spot too. I don't know. I, I yeah, just... I don't. Again, you don't want to have too many prospects. So if you take Brennan Davis, maybe you don't want to take Stephen Kwan. Maybe you take yeah. one of those guys. Jake Jake Myers is it's it's just all prospects Seth here. Seth Seth Beer's New- right here too. Uh, yeah, Newt Bar like Beer might have the clearest path because he finished the year with the team and with a utility spot. There's no reason to think beer can't get there. And I, I'm a big Seth Beer guy, but I've just talked about him so much. I didn't want to overdo yeah. it with him again, but he's a guy that's like, I find myself taking Seth Beer usually, but I, I would mix up. And I agree. This is that area where you probably just pick and choose your battles here. Maybe don't, maybe, maybe don't commit maybe, all into Davis. Maybe take, if you have eight outfielders and you want to take, I think 10 is the magic number. 10, you want 10 outfielders and, and um, in, a D, in a DC, maybe your nine, 10 is Brennan Davis and Harold Ramirez. Maybe yeah. you have one player there. That can give you um, really strong production throughout the whole year. Yeah, or Clint Frazier is going around pick four hundred. It's the same idea. You kind of hang, almost handcuff him. Like that's the- yeah. If you take Frazier, maybe you take Brennan Davis too. Because if Frazier fails, then that's just another path to playing time for uh, Brennan Davis. So yeah, that's why um he's one of the guys that I feel like no one's really talking about. But I think there's a clear path to playing time. Yeah, and doubt. again, just to reiterate, you don't want like we've talked about so many prospects. No. You don't want all of them. You gotta you gotta pick and choose. Maybe if you get sniped on one, you take another. You, yes. you don't you don't want to have nine prospect, ten prospects on your team. Then you, you're gonna lose. This you just, is when. Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was gonna say this is when ranks matter. 
you rank these prospects. You put them in like an order of preference, or maybe if you have three of one, none of the other, football them, but have a list of them knowing maybe, okay, this is where I'm going to get my two prospects, like in this range. And the two you go after are this guy and this guy. That's when, this is when you have ranks, like, because you want to have, but but it's again, it's like a separate rank from the rest of your ranks. You just, because you don't want to overdo it. Because you mentioned, if you if you end up drafting Prado, Melendez, Davis, like if you, if you draft all these players we mentioned, you're going to be in a big hole. Like you can only take one or two of these guys. We're just giving you a bunch of options we like going late. But okay, that's all I have to say about that. Do you have any more names? Maybe one more? Yeah, I have one more. Um, he's sort, sort of a hidden name. Uh, Diego Castillo of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Oh, um, you talked about him yesterday. Uh, yeah, anyway. yeah. I haven't heard many people uh, talk about him. Sorry, I'm sorting through ADP to check his ADP. His ADP is 732. So he's basically your... I don't know, one of your last round picks. Um, he was traded from the Yankees to the Pirates last year. I always click on the reliever, Diego Castillo. <laughs> yes, yes I, I did the same thing while pulling up his fan graphs page. Okay, I'm on the right one. Um, he ended the year at AAA last year, but he's got really low strikeout rates, um, average walk rates. The ISOs are above 220 in AA and AAA last year. And there's a real path to flag time in Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, if there ever was no, one. <laughs> they have no one at second base. It's basically Cole Tucker and Michael Chavis, like two bums. So um, at pick 700, this is basically your, what, 45th, 46th round pick, 47th round pick. Uh, I would take Diego. If I were to do 10 DCs, I'd want him in all of them. I just want to take him. Um, if something happens to one of my second basemen or shortstops, I think he's going to be up very early and be a body. He's going to play every day. I don't I, like, why wouldn't he? No, I'm, I get it, but I feel like I got burned doing the same thing, chasing a, a pirates, triple a player. Uh, what was the outfielder that never panned out the really fast, the speedy one known for his like speed first tool. Um, oh man. It's like a Diaz or oh, it's going to drive me crazy. Something like that. I can't think of his name. Wow. It doesn't matter. It didn't pan out. And it made no sense why he wasn't getting a chance. And it's bothering me because I know someone's probably thinking, oh, it's this person, you idiot. And I'll think about it once I'm I'm going to pull. I'm going to try to find it here in a second. But um, the last guy in the process of me looking for that is going to be a Rockies prospect, which is stupid because all it's doing is setting me up for failure. But it's Colton Welker. And he again, another pretty much last round pick. But he ended the year last year playing in the major leagues. Nothing flashy, nothing fancy in AAA for Colorado. In just 23 games, he posted three home runs. Decent, uh, decent, you know, plate discipline because I'm a sucker for plate discipline. Has flashed good plate discipline throughout the minor leagues. But it's just one of those things like he's posted double-digit home runs before, 20% strikeout rates and less before. And if there was ever a Rockies move, it is to bring up a guy that nobody is paying attention to to block somebody else like a Garrett Hampson. Cause that's what they do. They, they block Garrett Hampson. It is what I assume they do for like fun out there now. And um, if there was ever a chance of, again, going back to almost like what you said, just the rock, the pirates have a path of playing time. So do the Rockies. Um, I was looking at their process. I was looking at their page right now. And they, they mentioned, I think I've heard mention of McMahon playing shortstop. If McMahon plays shortstop, Garrett, Hampson's going to. Garrett Hampson is not an everyday player. I don't, I don't even think, so. think, I don't even think he starts at shortstop. I don't think he starts. And that's going to leave third base kind of like open too, like if that's the case. Like I think Hampson does start, but I don't see if Welker Welker again. This is your literally your last round pick, but mm. Welker finished the finished the season up with the team, um, plays third plays a corner. Uh, it's not sexy, not flashy, but 
I don't see why they and why would they move McMahon off second base? I guess they have to with Brendan Rogers there. But I feel like McMahon played such a good second base last year. Yeah, I I, I honestly think they're um a prime candidate to sign someone like Andrelton Simmons. That they just need yeah. they they need a shortstop. Garrett Hampson isn't a shortstop, and he's also one of the worst hitters in baseball. <laughs> I don't like why would they even the Rockies shouldn't be starting Garrett Hampson. That's how bad he is. No, I um, agree, but but that, so, that's why I was like Colton Welker right now is just literally a off the cuff name. I was like I just looked into him. I was like I see a path there. He's my round fifty pick. Nothing and with the, if we get the DH, CJ Crone is the perfect DH. Yep. Maybe you move McMahon to first. And that brings and that opens up a spot for Welker at third or the DH Welker. There's there's a few there's a few um, paths to playing time. Seven twenty two is ADP is so maybe around forty nine or forty eight pick. Either way, he is a he is. Um, you want to know a forgotten name? And I just for, I, I saw him the other day and I completely forgot about him. No one's talking about Jeter Downs all of a sudden. He was like the hot name to grab last year. Dude, I just got him. I pick six. Uh, no, I'm sorry, five hundred in a in a dynasty startup. I was like, sure, I'll just take Jeter Downs I for mean, free. I mean, he took a step back. Yes, Jeter Downs did strike out 32.3% of the time in AAA last year, hitting just 190 in the process. With all that said, he still hit 14 bombs and stole 18 bases. I mean, even if the batting average is going to be a liability, look at the skills that come with it, and he's free. I'd rather have Jeter Downs over Colton Welker. I think I took Colton Welker because of the third base eligibility, and I need a third baseman more. He's um really similar to Mackenzie Gore to me, where he just had the worst possible year, and now no one gives a shit about him. And it's a really great uh, again. This might be more of a dynasty thing than a DC thing, but um a guy like Jeter Downs or Mackenzie Gore with your fiftieth round pick, why not? Yeah, and again, there's no reason if Mackenzie Gore doesn't break into the league this year, I'm done. There's no way. Like this is the final year. Like if he's not breaking into the league, when will he, he has nothing. Like I get, he, he finally he ended up with the yips in the minors. Mackenzie Gore, if there was ever a year, even if it's as a reliever, like, he's so, he's so young. Though. He's 22 years old. I believe in the skills. It's the problem is, is I guess he hasn't been able to mentally get out of his little issues of like, and I think he had, you know, there's been issues of repeatability with Gore's mechanics. They're crazy. He brings the knee up to like his forehead, like stuff like that. Like <laughs> it's, it's, it's just one of those things. It's like people were concerned about the repeatability of the mechanics and there was stuff like that, but he's been openly admitting like, he, uh, yeah, he, he had the yips or has them and hasn't been able to figure out a way around them. And he has shown flashes of like bouncing back ish, but hasn't quite been able to get back to that pedigree that, you know, at one point he was like considered the top, the top pitching prospect. Yeah. I saw that he was touching 97 in the Arizona fall league. And that was, that's all I need to see believe and again it's more dynasty leagues in dcs but that's all i need to see to, to put a you know take him in the 500 600 700s in a dc or a dynasty startup just because this you know the skills are there he's throwing 97 again the padres have the most injury prone pitching staff <laughs> humanly possible so i mean he he'll get a shot at some point i do see the path there especially and again even though they have paddock and it was it nick martinez they have now and I, yeah, there's definitely a path to at least they innings. have they have Snell, Darvish, yeah. Clevenger, and Denelson Lamet. Lamet, dude, if Lamet's not the, the closer, injury prone pitching stuff. Lamet needs to be the closer. He could pitch one like shout inning every other day. You know what I mean? I don't see how Lamet's yeah. not closing games. That's that's not a bad um uh, DC flyer if you can get him really late. Lamette he goes like four hundreds, I think. I, I just took him in the last one. That's why I I, I think, goes that are. 
I didn't know he went that early. I was assuming he'd go in like the five, six hundred. No, he's going three eighty nine since December first. But if you're chasing saves, look at that roster. There's no, I don't think there's a clear path to who's going to get bulk of the saves. And if and last year he did pitch out of the bullpen. I think he's going to have a similar role this year. I think Lamette ends up getting. I mean, as a flyer for saves in a deep league, like if he gets named the closer, or if they say, "Hey, he'll be mixed in," you'll see his ADP jump two hundred picks. Like it's crazy. Yeah, and, that might that might be a bullpen I avoid completely, but it's not a it's not a horrible pick. As you're when you're tra- when you're chasing saves for like your possible like backup saves sources, I, I just I find myself intrigued because it's either him or Clint Frazier like at that pick, or it's like or, or it was Kyle Seager. That didn't work out. Um, that's the best. That, that right there is the downside to um to drafting early. Kyle Seager, he was drafted yeah, in every league up until you know his retirement. I can't draft. I can't draft Nelson Cruz because of that. I literally can't take him. I I, I, I he he could retire at any day, and I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I just hope he doesn't go back to Tampa. I looked up his career numbers in Tampa. Nelson Cruz was like a career seven forty seven OPS in Tampa, which doesn't sound like a, like it sounds that's, that's bad, especially because he's played fifty or so games there, and that, which doesn't sound like a lot. But you know, he doesn't really play in that division much. So those lights, dude. Those I know it's, it's the batter's eye. I'm pretty sure the batter's eye got the best of them. <laughs> and. From yeah. prospects to Nelson Cruz. Yes, that's where we're <laughs> gonna wrap it right here. Ryan, appreciate you joining me. You can follow him on Twitter at what is it was uh, at oh dang it hold on, at Ven underscore Armbarn. You, you got, got it. it. Yeah. Okay. I was trying to memorize it because I I turned I turned away from, from your profile. So at at Ven underscore Armbarn and plug any work or anything you want on your way out. No, just um my me and my friend Diego have been doing the Next on Deck podcast. We record about uh, once a week. And um, I'm going to be contributing to the fan tracks draft kit, probably write an article a week for them. And then for the SK playbook, I'm going to be doing uh, an article a week for basketball. So if you play fantasy basketball, I'll be doing some stuff there. And then we'll probably start baseball um, in the next few weeks. Hopefully that we get a deal done in the major so we can stop with the speculation of missing time in this year. But that's another discussion for another day. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curland. Don't forget to check out SK Playbook. We have a community, all that good stuff. It's on the site, skplaybook.com. Um, five-star rating review on your way out is greatly appreciated. Uh, that's going to do it. Thank you for your time, and uh, we'll talk soon.